back, my friends. Welcome back to Corporate Report Radio. It's great to have you all back here tonight for another edition of the broadcast. Of course, I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and I'm coming to you, as always, from my home recording studios here on the western shores of Japan. And tonight we have another Friday night highlight edition of this broadcast for you, where we dip into the archives of the work that I've been doing over the years on CorbettReport.com, to come up with some audio from different interviews and things that I've conducted in the past in order to, well, shine some light on some of the work that has taken place there before. And this week we're going to be delving into the archives to cover a subject that I think is extremely important that is just breaking right now and that each and every one of you who is out there listening right now can have an effect in helping to spread because this is important information that is likely to be suppressed or glossed over by the mainstream media. In fact, we already see them doing that. So your support in helping to get information about this very important topic out is much appreciated. And the question is, what topic am I talking about? Well, I am talking about something called ClimateGate 2.0. And as you might guess from that title, of course, ClimateGate 2.0 is a continuation of ClimateGate 1, which happened back in 2009. And if you don't remember what happened at that time... Uh, basically, the, some files were posted to a Russian server, and a link to them was posted on several climate blogs, such as What's Up With That dot com. And uh, this this file had thousands and thousands and thousands of emails, which represented the personal correspondence of some of the climate scientists who are at the very heart of the UN-approved uh, uh, climate science that's going on in order to try to prove that human-produced uh, carbon dioxide is really driving the climate and that it's causing a catastrophic warming effect. Well, these emails tended to paint a very different picture of what was going on behind the scenes than what is portrayed publicly as a settled science. So it was an extremely important event. So anyone who hasn't uh, heard of ClimateGate before or doesn't know about it, I strongly suggest that you go, for example, and check out one of my subsidiary websites, of course, I have CorbettReport.com as my main website, but on the front page there, you'll see a link to one of my subsidiary websites, ClimateGate.tv, where I have uh, been keeping an, a, pretty much a daily tab on the climate science, or the real science behind the climate science that's uh, being used to perpetrate this fraud on the public. And I've been doing that for uh, a couple of years now, basically, since the ClimateGate scandal broke. So ClimateGate.tv is a good uh, resource for, for what's really going on behind the science. And, of course, it's not just about ClimateGate itself, but about all of the shenanigans and trickery that's going on. But obviously, so much of the dirty laundry came out in the original ClimateGate scandal. It really had a huge effect. And for anyone who was watching what was happening at that time, I think we all saw it immediately as uh, traffic to climate websites that told the truth about climate science spiked uh, incredibly and have, really haven't gone down very much since then. And uh, and uh, so many people learned about what's really going on in the science behind the climate science fraud from that scandal so it was truly a dam-breaking uh, type of thing. And now we have ClimateGate 2, where a new release of records has occurred. Again, the emails of uh, the same cast and crew of characters has, has been released, even more emails from the same time period, going back, uh, I think, a couple of decades, but going all the way up to as late as October 2009. 
So whoever was, uh, well, I assume whoever was behind the original leak is now leaking even more emails, and it's a very interesting situation. So we're going to be delving into the archives of CorbettReport.com tonight to explore this issue and its significance. So I certainly hope that you'll stay tuned for that. Anyway, that's the topic for tonight. We're going to be exploring the depths of the climate gate scandal, the nadir of science, really, in one of the greatest scandals, scientific scandals of this century. So I certainly hope you'll stay tuned for that as we start to, uh, to head into the archives for tonight's edition of Friday Night Highlights. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back here on Corbett Report Radio right after these messages. Broadcast friends, James Corbett here from CorbettReport.com, and you are listening to Corbett Report Radio. And tonight we're doing the Friday night highlight, delving into the archives of CorbettReport.com for great interviews and uh, articles and other things from the past. And uh, tonight we're talking about ClimateGate, the climate science scandal that blew the lid off of the phony global warming hoax and alarmism that's been going on for far too long now. And, of course, we're talking about the big scandal that occurred in November 2009 when thousands of emails of some of the uh, climate researchers at the heart of this scandal were released online for the public to see all of their dirty laundry in all of its, well, unfortunate details. And in the immediate wake of that that scandal, uh, it broke on November 19th of 2009, on November 21st, I managed to put together an interview with Dr. Tim Ball, a, a climate researcher and a retired climatologist uh, who w- has been commenting on the shenanigans of the people involved in the ClimateGate scandal for a long time. So I was able to put together an interview and put that up on YouTube really just uh, two days after the scandal broke, and it immediately became quite viral. So we're going to listen to an excerpt from that interview uh, right now, and of course it's available online, and of course you can get the link from the show notes for today's episode at CorbettReport.com slash radio. But basically, I introduced the the concept of uh, ClimateGate by saying that, uh, that uh, t- discussing the details of the release of the, these emails, and then I asked Dr. Tim Ball what the significance of all this was, and this is how he responded. Well, the significance is that um, it confirms uh, suspicions that I've had in my thirty years of working on in, in climate science that I, I saw. Uh, the hijacking of climate science, particularly by uh, computer modelers, and then by a small group of people associated with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Uh, but, of course, uh, the difficulty was that even though I sensed that there were these things going on, proving it is extremely difficult. But now, suddenly, with the exposure of these files, it's not only a smoking gun, it's a battery of machine guns that has, that has uh, been exposed. And uh, it, it really is deeply disturbing because what you've got here is confirmation of this small group of scientists who, by the way, Professor Wegman, who was asked to arbitrate in the debate about the hockey stick, um, he identified 42 people and said, look, uh, these people are all publishing together. And they're also uh, peer-reviewing each other's literature. 
So there's a classic example of uh, the kind of thing that bothered me. About 20 years ago, uh, I started saying, well, why are they pushing the peer review issue such, so big? Why are they saying, well, you haven't published peer review and you haven't done this peer review? And now, of course, uh, we realize is is because they had control of their own process, and um, that's clearly exposed in in these um, in these emails. So, for me, um, it is just confirmation of of very deep uh, suspicions I've had. But on a on a global scale, it's frightening because this group of people not only control the Hadley Center, which uh, controls the um, the data global data on temperature through the uh, Hadley uh, Climate Research Unit. Um, so the, the global temperature record uh, is, is in their hands, but they also um, control the IPCC. And, um, and so um, they've, they've manipulated that, and we, we read in the emails how that was done. And, uh, and of course, the IPCC has become the basis uh, in all governments for uh, the Kyoto Protocol, the Copenhagen Accord, and so on. That's exactly right. And of course, the, the ramifications of what we're talking about are, are huge. So uh, can you give us an indication of, of some of the, the specifics that you found disturbing about, uh, there are many different issues that were touched on in these emails and documents, but some of them include um, active collusion to avoid uh, uh, releasing information pertaining to freedom of information requests. Some of them pertain to uh, attempts to get James Sayers removed from the editorial board of the Geophysical Review Letters, uh, many other startling issues. Were there any that stuck out for you? Well, I, I think that the, those are some of them. But, uh, of course, one of the first things is the overall tone of, of the emails, uh, the nastiness, the viciousness, the, uh, the personal comments about people, um, I mean, I, I knew John Daly, uh, who, who passed away a little while ago, and the comment about almost to the, to the, to the delight that he's gone. And um, those kinds of, of things are really deeply disturbing. But, but beyond that, um, it's, it's the orchestration of, of the whole publishing uh, field. And um, there's a couple of things that interest me. For example, uh, the emails between... Um, Andrew Revkin of the New York Times and these people. So clearly he was, uh, he got information from them but was also a conduit for them, uh, to push their arguments. But, but it, it's also, um, not only the attacks on individual scientists, but the attacks on editors of journals, uh, attempting to control that whole journal process. And, um, uh, the emails that talk about, um, making sure that they, they get the, the right name. So, for example, if, if an, a journal requires, the editor requires five um, independent names uh, to act as possible review editors, they provide those names, and, of course, it's always from their own people. And uh, so those sorts of things absolutely stand out. And um, uh, the overall, it's, it's the, the orchestration uh, each one of the things in, its, in and of itself is, is really objectionable, um, as I said. But putting it all together, where they're literally controlling the, the, the climate science and anybody that dares to question to, to, uh, to what they're saying. And so uh, those are the things that really bother me. And uh, just to give you a quick comment on this, Professor Deming, um, here's, an, here's a comment that he wrote back in... Uh, in um, to his experience, 
He said, with the publication of my article in Science in 1995, I gained significant credibility in the community of scientists working on climate change. They thought I was one of them, someone who would pervert science in the service of social and political causes. So one of them let his guard down. A major person working in the area of climate change and global warming sent me an astonishing email that said, we must get rid of the medieval warm period. Now, when Deming came out with that at the time, there was quite a furor about it. But now, in the light of the, these exposures, we see that Deming was absolutely right in, in what he was claiming. And, of course, the person that uh, sent him that email was Jonathan Overpeck, and Overpeck's emails are all over those files. And, of course, what they're talking about is the problem they had, James, that they kept saying, oh, no, the 20th century and the latter part of it is the warmest ever. And, of course, skeptics like myself and Richard Lindzen and Patrick Michaels were saying, no, hang on a minute, it was warmer a thousand years ago when the Vikings were in Iceland and Greenland. And, um, and of course, that's why they decided that they'd have to get rid of the medieval warm period, and they achieved that with the hockey stick. In other words, that they completely rewrote the history. And um, you, you can see uh, how they've done this, not only with that particular record, um, but with, um, with the historic records as well, the actual temperature records. The uh, Hansen and the group, uh, where they've been reducing uh, the older temperatures, making it colder than it was, uh, which then enhances the warming in the, in the, uh, the recent times. So it, the manipulation of records on this level is, is uh, you have to think it's, it's got to be criminal somewhere. There certainly are indications of activity that appear to be collusion to, to break laws and things like that. We'll have to see what the legal fallout from this is. But as you mentioned, the media fallout is, is particularly interesting, noting that people like Revkin were actually corresponding with these people and are now running cover for them in the New York Times. And, of course, The Guardian and other places that one would expect are, are running the usual types of stories about how this isn't a big deal and no one should be concerned about it. Um, of course, uh, the, the, the media sources that we would expect are running cover for, for these guys in this story. So uh, do you have any suggestions for people out there to go for uh, unbiased views about this? Uh, what, what are some good sources of information? Well, I think that the, the you know, Climate Audit, uh, McIntyre's site, because he's the one that uh, was pushing uh, Jones for the information, freedom through the Freedom of Information. And by the way, of course, the, what's, what's disturbing about that is not only Jones and the, and the, Hadley, the Climate Research Unit involvement, but also the involvement of the UK Met Office. I mean, there's, there's a thing on, on, uh, on McIntyre's site today saying that as recently as November the 12th, uh, they're they're denying, and of course the UK Met Office finally came out and said, "Well, we lost the data." So government involvement is deeply disturbing. But 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 um, uh, McIntyre's site at Climate Audit um, uh, is is a good place to go. A very good one to go is also um, Anthony Watts' site called What's Up with That. Um, and of course Anthony's the one that's been showing. Uh, all of the problems with the weather stations around the world and the adjustment of the historic record. Uh, that's another very good site to go to. Um, and, and um, of course, oh, oh, there, I've, I've got an article on Canada Free Press. There's, uh, there's a few articles there that I've wrote, written over the last four or five years about my suspicions about what was going on. And the sad thing is, James, for me, um, yeah, I've struggled with this and, and uh, been attacked uh, but you know what? 
finding out that what I was saying was true is there's no pleasure in that whatsoever. No pleasure in I told you so because this is a deeply uh, troubling time uh, not only for climate science but science in general. All right, Dr. Ball, we're going to have to leave things there, but thank you very much for uh, joining us today. Thank you for the opportunity. Once again, that's Dr. Tim Ball of drtimball.com. That's D-R-T-I-M-B-A-L-L.com. And, of course, again, that will be linked from today's show notes at corbettreport.com slash radio. So for people who are interested, I am in the process of setting up an interview with Dr. Tim Ball for next week on this latest climate gate scandal, so stay tuned for that. But right now, let's take a short break, and we'll be right back here on Corbett Report Radio right after these messages. Friends to Corbett Report Radio. I am your host, James Corbett, and I come from CorbettReport.com. And tonight we're talking about ClimateGate, that huge climate science scandal that we are now seeing unfold in its second form. Part two is now unfolding as we speak, so more on that later. But right before that break, we listened to an interview that I conducted in the immediate wake of the ClimateGate scandal with Dr. Tim Ball, of course, a retired climatologist who spent I think over 20 years at the University of Winnipeg, um, t- talking about that, the science behind climate, uh, clim- the climate itself, long before it was fashionable to do so or before there was any money to be made from that, well, what has become a scientific industry. So my hat's off to Dr. Timball for all the work that he's done, but of course, given that he is now a, uh, a climate skeptic, so-called, which is, again, a ridiculous term for anyone who doesn't believe the global warming alarmism, but at any rate, a climate skeptic, so-called. He, uh, of course, is subject to personal attacks, and every time that I interview him or talk to him or someone sees that I've talked to him, they always seem compelled to send me a link to the Smog blog, a place that keeps tracks on these climate skeptics and what they're really up to and who they're really funded by. So on desmogblog.com, you can read about all sorts of people, including, of course, Dr. Tim Ball, and people will send me this link, and, oh, it proves without a shadow of a doubt he's funded by the oil agencies, and he's an oil uh, shill because he once went to a conference, and uh, part of it was paid for by a fund that was partially funded by an oil company, even though he had no direct knowledge of that at the time, but at any rate... Uh, you, people can listen to what he actually has to say about that, but of course most people won't be interested in that. I've personally met Dr. Timball. I spent a day with him in Victoria a couple of years ago making a, a, a interview that I put put up on my website, and it's on my 2009 Video Archive DVD. So I know pers- firsthand that he's just a retiree, and he's not uh, secretly a, li- a billionaire, you know, smoking $100 bills and laughing about those uh, those silly people who believe what he's saying. He's, uh, he's just a down-to-earth uh, scientist who's genuinely interested in the science. But on the note of this um, this tendency of anyone who wants to perpetuate the global warming alarmism to just say that anyone who disputes that idea is secretly funded by the oil industry, I'd like to, to make a note of something that, in fact, proves this, the silliness of Desmogplog and that entire 
industry of, of smearing people who are uh, who actually d- step outside of the bounds of the controlled climate change discourse. And uh, I, I know firsthand because it happened to me. So shortly after the climategate.tv, my website that uh, that has been documenting this since the beginning, shortly after it was posted uh, originally to the web on in December of 2009, climategate.tv became the subject of interest at thesmogblog.com. And I'll put in a link again from corporatereport.com slash radio to the climategate TV deniers start their own station post on thesmogblog.com where you can read about, uh, well, about myself and, uh, of course, the fact that I must secretly be funded by the oil industry. It reads in part, quote, The deniers have rustled up their own TV station, an offshoot of the right-wingy Corbett report called Climategate TV. The site has everything you could possibly want in terms of hyperventilating and belligerent commentary about the emails stolen from the Climatic Research Unit at the University of East Anglia. The only thing missing is even the tiniest hint about who's paying the bills for the new service, end quote. Yes, yes, who's paying the bills for this new ClimateGate TV, this new TV station that has been opened by the right-wingy Corbett report? I just don't even know where to begin addressing this ridiculous post, but at any rate, there you have it. Apparently I am uh, now a subject of suspicion because I have this TV station, by which I guess they mean my website, I'm not sure why they, they even call it a TV station, I guess, because it has the .TV extension. But the funniest thing about all of this, and the thing that, that to me, I mean, anybody out there, I suppose, who's reading this can, can look at it and go, hmm, yes, I wonder where he is getting his money. But the funny thing to me is, because I know firsthand, personally, ClimateGate.TV, I set it up, I know what it's about, I, I know I'm not receiving any oil funding. And uh, and the funny thing is that it is based on a, a free WordPress template called Mystique. So you can go type that into Scroogle or your search engine of choice and find Mystique WordPress theme. It's a free download, and the hosting is with GoDaddy, and it costs less than $5 a month. So basically, for less than $5 a month, you can have uh, a website exactly like climategate.tv. So the idea that I'm secretly being funded by the oil industry to create this website that costs something in the neighborhood of $50 a year is so ridiculous. It is so stupid that one has to wonder at everything that these people are saying, that they will make such blatant and ridiculous lies, and yet... Every single time I talk to anyone, including Dr. Tim Ball or, or any of the other people that I've talked to on this subject, they'll always point to the desmog blog debunking of these people. Well, look, they say they're secretly being funded by the oil industry. Yeah, right, just like I'm secretly being funded by the oil industry, right, to, to make my $50 a year website. It's, it's, again, it's so stupid. It's so beyond stupid that it almost doesn't deserve comment, and yet, unfortunately, people still continue to send me emails about it. So I just thought I'd clear that up for, for people who are wondering about my secret funding. But at any rate, let's take a short break here. And when we return on Corporate Report Radio, we're going to listen to an interview I did earlier this week with Joanne Nova, an Australian science blogger, about her role in ClimateGate 2.0. listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. 
I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we're talking about ClimateGate 2.0, the latest scandal to emerge from the hallowed halls of academia and the people, the scientists behind the climate change alarmism scare that has been perpetrated on the peoples of the world for far too long now. And here we have another scientific scandal that's breaking, part two of the ClimateGate scandal, where thousands of emails were released. Well, thousands more emails have been released from some of the climate researchers who have been cooking the books on the global warming scare. So more on, on that is being kept on a daily basis at climategate.tv, of course, my, my climate-based website. So please check that on a regular basis for more on this emerging scandal. But right now we're going to go straight into an interview that I conducted earlier this week with Joanne Nova of joannova.com.au. She's an Australian science presenter, writer, speaker, and a former TV host. She's the author of The Skeptic's Handbook, so I suggest you check out her website, which has been doing great work in documenting the climate fraud for a number of years now. But uh, but her website was one of the websites that received this link to the ClimateGate 2 emails as soon as they were up uh, earlier this week. Um, so... So an absolutely incredible thing to be part of that, I suppose. So let's listen to this interview, and we'll pick it up from where I'm asking Joanne Nova to go over the details of when she first found the link to the ClimateGate 2 emails on her own blog. Oh, it's one of those exciting things that comes in on a Wednesday night. I'm sitting down at my computer, and I notice I've got an odd comment in from someone called FOIA. Now, FOIA was the one who uh, broke out the information about the um, ClimateGate 1. And I didn't twig immediately, and because it was a Russian site that it linked to, I'm always very dubious because you never know. But the emails were starting to flood in from people saying Climate Gate 2 is broken, and um, and that was, um, my site was one of five or six that he had left the link on. And um, so I quickly searched, and sure enough, people had checked, and it was it, we were still waiting to confirm that the emails were legitimate. But within hours, the people who were uh, accused of things in the emails or who wrote the emails were confirming that it was true and saying, oh, yes, we've seen them, but they don't mean anything. <laughs> so look here, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing to see, and, which was great because it tells us that they were authentic and they were real. Um, but some of the messages coming out there, the main theme is that these scientists will say something, they admit discussions about uncertainty amongst themselves, which they don't tell the public. Remember, we're beaten down with the message, the science is settled, the evidence is overwhelming, and the models are right, and there will be a disaster. And yet behind the scenes, they're saying things like the basic problem is that all the models are wrong, not got enough middle and low-level clouds. And that comes from Phil Jones, yet one of the four major centres researching. So it's just, to me, there's message after message like that. Observations, there's thorn. Observations do not show rising temperatures throughout the tropical troposphere unless you accept one single study and approach and discount a wealth of others. This is just downright dangerous. Well, how about from Wills? Wills comments, what if climate change appears to be just mainly a multi-decadal natural fluctuation? They'll kill us, probably. I mean, how bad is that? These people know that their models are not giving them the right results and they won't admit it publicly, but they're sending emails back and forwards to each other saying they don't like it. And Michael Manns, who, who did the hockey stick, which was a, a study showing that temperatures are unprecedented in the last thousand years, 
but it was in conflict with literally hundreds of previous studies showing that there was a warm period a thousand years ago called the medieval warm period. Michael Mann, his, uh, that, that data, that graph was so bad you could have generated it with random numbers. They didn't need the tree ring proxy data that he put in to pretend to analyse temperatures for the last thousand years. His mathematical algorithm was so bad you could throw in a bus timetable and you would still get a hockey stick. That's right, and in so, fact, if I'm reading it correctly, one of the emails uh, that, that's been highlighted here actually confirms that very fact from one of the hockey team themselves who tried it out and said, oh, actually, it seems McIntyre's right. You can't feed in any numbers into yes, this. Yes, that's right. They're confirming they did try some of the things that they, they baked the critics for and yet found the critics were right. And, uh, you know, Bradley here is one of the authors on that famous 1998 paper. He says, I'm sure you'll agree, the Man Jones GRL paper, and he's talking about a 2008 paper, I think, was truly pathetic and should never have been published. I don't want to be associated with that 2,000-year reconstruction. So there's very strong language here going on behind the scenes with these, um, these scientists, and yet the main frame, the main image that we're painted in the public is that, um, that this is supposedly just healthy scientific debate is how they whitewash it, which would be fine. It would be true if they let the public know that they really weren't sure what their models were projecting, that their models aren't good at projecting the temperatures above the tropics, which is critical, and they, you know, all of this goes on behind the scenes, and yet it's kept from us. Exactly right. Unfortunately, exactly right. And um, and for people who haven't actually taken a look at these emails yet, they, you have got the, the the link up on your your website. Of course, it keeps uh, changing and dropping because it's on a number of different hosting websites, and, and as they people get, keep yeah. swamping. Yes, it keeps being swamped. Um, but there are a lot of sites analysing these emails and hopefully soon we will have boiled down the ones which are the most important. But to be honest, we've already got enough. Uh, I mean, there's another one here from Polak. And remember the medieval warm period I'm talking about. He's quoted and said, but it will be very difficult to make the MWP go away in Greenland. Now, this is not a scientist speaking where you try and make a warm period disappear from your grass. You know, the true scientist wants to know whether it was really there or whether it wasn't. And yet in this case, they're trying to create graphs to fit in with political memes. And, you know, these are scientists being human, but we expect better from people who we're entrusting decisions that billions of dollars are resting on. Well, trillions of dollars, ultimately. And, in fact, that's something that was pointed out in the readme.txt file that was included with this batch of emails that uh, that reads, over 2.5 billion people live on less than $2 a day. Every day, nearly 16,000 children die from hunger and related causes. $1 can save a life. The opposite must also be true. Poverty is a death sentence. Nations must invest $37 trillion in energy technologies by 2030 to stabilize greenhouse gas emissions at sustainable levels. And it goes on to say, today's decision should be based on all the information we can get, not on hiding the decline. This archive contains some 5,000 emails picked from keyword searches. A few remarks and redactions are marked with triple brackets. The rest, some 220,000, are encrypted for various reasons. We are not planning to publicly release the passphrase. So a very cryptic message from whoever is uh, leaking these emails out, but a very Mm. interesting uh, manifesto there. It is, and the encryption on those 220,000 emails, I believe, is some 4,000 to 8,000 digits long, so it's a very difficult encryption to break. So, um, yes, and, and we can all speculate on why he may have done it that way or she may have done it that way. I, I think possibly they're saving it up as a, um, a warning to the scientists to say, you know, you need to be honest, you need to do the right thing, you need to give out your data and your methods 
uh, and without SLIs, this is the thing most people don't realise, is that it was one of the understood things about science. When you've published a paper, if any scientist anywhere in the world asks you for the data and wants to check it, then you should give them not just the data but the methods so that they can replicate what you did. And, yeah, this is how science works. So we can check to make sure they didn't make adjustments which don't make sense or that it doesn't depend on some particular one point that they haven't got right. And um, that's how science works. You shouldn't have to put in an FOI to get that kind of stuff. And yet here we've found when we do put in an FOI, Phil Jones is just deleting the emails, is deliberately giving skeptics data which he knows will be difficult for them to work with or that's missing some crucial elements or that's confusing or, you know, all sorts of ways. So just try and foil people from analysing their own work and checking it. Exactly right. Well, let's approach this from the other way around, because obviously with your background in science communication and uh, obviously being involved in the media and trying to communicate science, you know how these the, the people who are involved in, in communicating this type of thing uh, to the public think. So if you were in the position of someone at The Guardian or one of these papers that are obviously going to try to, to cover up this incredible story, what, what do you think they're going to be doing in the next few days and weeks to try to smooth this out and try to make people uh, go back to sleep? Uh, well, we've already seen the handy guide to, to um, actually I'm writing it at the moment, the handy guide to spot whitewash journalism. We've already seen the way The Guardian and others will deal with it. And that, they were quicker this time. They were absolutely stumped when Climate Gate 1 came out. There was this vacuum in the media for the next four or five days, which was really extraordinary. And uh, where even sites like Real Climate, which is one of the main sites for the alarmists, just said nothing because they didn't know what to say. They were flabbergasted. This time around, within hours, the BBC and The Guardian were both putting out what I call whitewash journalism where they don't quote any of the emails found. They merely quote the excuses given by the people who were caught by these emails who are just saying, well, they're old, you know, they're pretty much this is old news, we've seen it all before, we've been investigated, all the investigations said we're okay and uh, they were hacked. These people are nasty. And this is what it comes back to. So the standard excuses for all these things. But you can always spot a real journalist because the real journalist will quote what the emails were and also quote what Michael Mann's excuse and Phil Jones' excuses are, which is quite fair to ask them their opinion and get them to quote on it. But if they don't quote the actual emails that were busted out, then they're hiding things. Precisely, precisely right, and and that's such an important point because something that I noticed about the when they finally did start covering Climate Gate the first time around was that it all seemed to hinge on the hide the decline quote, and uh, there was a lot of talk about that and a lot of uh, going and hemming and hawing about what that meant, and oh, it's, the trick doesn't mean anything important, and all of that discussion. But that was really the only email that was examined in any sort of depth at all, and every I mean there was literally thousands and thousands and thousands of others, and uh, a lot of people in the alternative media were pointing out all of the, the other things that were going on there, but of course the medium tried to make it about that one quotation, and uh, unfortunately I think to a certain extent it probably worked with at least their diehard readership. So um, so again, I, I assume that's probably exactly what's going to happen this, this time around. They're going to try to avoid any discussion of what the emails actually say and just try to put it off on these these councils and, and, and uh, whitewash commissions that have decided that these people had, did nothing wrong. Yeah, and just make sure that everybody knows the skeptics are cherry-picking, even though they won't really produce any examples of where the skeptics are cherry-picking. But uh, it's funny, you know, I just tripped across an email this morning showing that Phil Jones uh, was saying that he doesn't consider himself a public servant. This is a man who works for the University of East Anglia and who gets a lot of grants from both the UK government and the US government. 
and yet here he is. It's part of the way he justifies the fact that he's not giving out this data. He calls it, you know, it's his intellectual property and actually says he does not consider himself a public servant. Quite remarkable, and especially if people do take the time to look into his uh, grant funding, and, and some of that did come out in the original ClimateGate emails, and people were adding up the, the the sums of the grants that he received and coming to quite exorbitant uh, figures. I won't quote them because I don't know them off the top of my head, but that's contained at ClimateGate.tv and other places. So I hope people do check into that because they have to understand there is vast amounts of money to be made, even personally by some of the, the key figures in this uh, climate world. There are, although, as I said, I think a lot of this is really about people's, you know, the human flaws and the human folly of thinking that they know what's best, and I can see in the emails, they're really just struggling to explain why their, it's, it's unfortunately a religious belief, just doesn't add up, and they're, they're convinced that 28 million radio songs must be wrong because it doesn't match their models and their conviction that the world must be warming catastrophically due to CO2. Whereas you know, I'm, I guess, one of those lukewarmer sceptics. I don't know. Are you familiar with that term? Yes, yes. But let's, yes. let's flesh it out for the listeners. Um, it, well, a lukewarmer sceptic means someone who, who admits that CO2 is a greenhouse gas. I mean, I'm not denying any physics at all. CO2 is a greenhouse gas. Humans are producing it. Yes, it is warming the planet. But we argue that the, ne- that the feedbacks are negative and that, that means clouds and humidity are changing in ways that reduce the effects of CO2's additional warmth and that we're likely to get more like half a degree of warming, not three and a half degrees, which is what the IPCC says, or if you're Ross Garneau in Australia, you get 5.7 degrees. Some of the models turn out 11 degrees, um, and all of those estimates above one degree are all based on positive feedback. They're all saying CO2 warms the planet by one degree, the generally accepted figure quoted from Hansen 1984 is 1.2 degrees due to CO2 directly, if it doubles. But all the warming above that is only found in models and only found when they assume that feedbacks are positive. So that's what this debate is really about, whether they've got the feedbacks right, whether they've made an error cascade, an assumption that humidity would increase in a warmer world up high in the atmosphere, Whereas we're saying, well, actually, it looks like humidity increases low in the atmosphere. We get more clouds, and more clouds send more of that radiation off the planet, and the world cools slightly. So CO2 is increasing temperatures, but we're saying not by much, not by anything that matters, and we really ought to be paying more attention to those poor, starving kids. Exactly right, and and that brings up the point that uh, that a lot of the terminology surrounding this, the, the, whatever it is that we are doing collectively on, on sites like joannova.com.au and climategate.tv, uh, there's a lot of labels that are applied to that, like climate skeptic, which which just makes it sound ridiculous in and of itself, because, of course, no one is skeptical that there is a climate or that the climate is changing. I think it's ultimately what the root cause and what the ultimate effects are of the contentious issues. You are so right on that, James. Yes, it's Orwellian, isn't it? And they say we're a climate denier, as if I deny there's a climate. I'm a climate change denier, as if I'm denying that the climate ever changes. Yes, it is preposterous. And the Orwellian tricks work against us all the time. Confusion works for them, and and straight information works for us. But unfortunately, they have a megaphone through the media. So, But we've got the Internet, and boy, do skeptics dominate the Internet. You can see on all the polls that happen on... um, on most of the websites on this that skeptics quickly come in and swamp the the polls that are taken. And I think that's just the way it is. If you're online, you probably have read a lot of the skeptical positions and are more likely to be a skeptic, whereas, unfortunately, if you're only reading the mainstream media newspapers, it's very hard to find out what's going on.
Once again, that's Joanne Nova of joannova.com.au. And, of course, the link to her website will be available in the show notes for tonight's episode of the broadcast at corbettreport.com slash radio. And I would just like people to ponder what we just talked about at the very end of that conversation, because I think that is, in some ways, the central issue here. Of course, we are talking about global warming. We're talking about the science or lack thereof behind that global warming scare that's been perpetrated on the public for decades now. But I think one of the things that ClimateGate reveals in really stark contrast, in absolutely undeniable terms, is the fact, the fact that this entire body of knowledge would never have made it to the public. All of the things that we now know because of the emails that were leaked out would never have made it to you or I if it had not been for the Internet and for alternative media websites, alternative blogs, things that went against the grain. If it weren't for What's Up With That and Joe Nova and other sites like that, including in some small way ClimateGate.tv, we would never have known about this scandal because it is a documented fact that a BBC presenter was given these emails weeks before they were posted to the websites, and the BBC chose to shut up about it. Again, you can find more details about that at ClimateGate.tv, but it's something to ponder that this was handed on a silver platter to the mainstream media, and they said no whereas, of course, the alternative blogosphere picked it up and ran with it. So, again, without the free and open Internet that we've enjoyed all these years, it would never have been possible to even bring you this information. So that's an extremely important piece of this puzzle and something that we go into in more depth in the full conversation, which I suggest you go and download from CorbettReport.com. So let's take a moment to ponder the meaning of that. And while we do that, let's listen to these messages. We'll be right back to talk a little bit more about the alternative media and blogging about climate science. Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett, and I'm from CorbettReport.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com. And also ClimateGate.tv, where you can find more information about the ongoing unfolding ClimateGate saga. And Part 2, ClimateGate 2.0, which is unfolding as we speak. As, as I've been saying tonight, a brand new round of emails from inside the walls of academia and inside the institutions like the Climatic Research Unit at the University of East Anglia have been released. Again, thousands of emails have been released uh, once once again just in the past few weeks here, and uh, people are now pouring over them to dig out some of the nuggets from those uh, personal correspondence. So I uh, hope you'll be following that at climategate.tv, as, again, I will be posting daily updates but uh, before the break, we were reflecting on the importance of the Internet in breaking this information and the importance of the alternative media in being able to bring this information to you that literally the mainstream media was offered and refused to report on, which is um, really mind-boggling considering the, the nature and the extent of the information that have been revealed in these emails. 
So it just once again goes to show that the mainstream media, of course, is not going to inform you of the subjects that really matter or inform you of all the information that you need to make informed decisions on the subjects that matter, something that I'm sure all of the people listening to my voice right now already understand. But for those who are really just pondering this for the first time, I'd like you to reflect once again that, unfortunately, I am not secretly funded by any any secretive organizations or the oil industry or George Soros or John, uh, David Rockefeller or any of the other cast and crew who are really working overtime and spending their vast, vast fortunes to propagate the global warming scare. I am just an alternative news blogger who has been blessed enough to be able to move to doing this work full-time, but of course I do need your support in order to continue to do this work. So for those who haven't yet done so, I really hope that you'll go and check out CorbettReport.com. And while you're there, please consider subscribing. And if you click the subscribe tab, you can uh, sign up to donate 100 Japanese yen a month. It's about a buck forty a month. It's a tiny, tiny amount, but it really does help me to help do what I do and to keep going here on Corbett Report Radio. So if you appreciate the, the information that's coming out of CorbettReport.com, I, I suggest that you that you go and click and subscribe to help support that work. And in an effort to make things even even better for Corbett Report subscribers, I am starting a new newsletter that's going to be a monthly newsletter with a news roundup, and it's going to have special uh, offers and deals for Corbett Report subscribers. It's going to have uh, special exclusive Corbett Report subscriber videos that only the subscribers will be able to watch. So um, it's going to be an extremely, I, I think it's going to be a very informative and helpful tool for people. Who, and again, it's just as a gift, as a thank you for those people who are supporting my work and making it possible. So once again, I hope you will go and check out CorbettReport.com. And while you're there, of course, check out my subsidiary websites, ClimateGate.tv and, of course, uh, uh, FukushimaUpdate.com, where I'm also keeping a daily update on the unfolding nuclear crisis here in Japan and all of the information that you could possibly find on the web about that crisis is going in there day after day after day. And again, it does. It is a full time. It's more than a full time job. I uh, I spend well almost every waking moment on these websites. So I certainly hope that you'll support me in this endeavor. Without your support, I wouldn't be able to do any of this. But at any rate, that wraps up another week of Corbett Report Radio. So thank you so much once again for joining me this week, and I hope you'll join me again next week as we continue this very important broadcast. <laughs>